Today we continue our way through our series uh, that we've entitled Joy. Um, as we approach this Christmas season, we've been looking at some, some different passages that hopefully help to bring us and show to us uh, the great joy uh, that we uh, should have. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Galatians uh, chapter 4, and we're going to actually be looking at the joy that should be brought to us as we look at our adoption. Uh, what does it mean uh, that because of Christ we have a Father in heaven and that we've been adopted into His family? Now, as we begin to think about this this morning, inevitably, the way that we think about our adoption, the way that we think about our Heavenly Father is, is um, tainted, it's affected by our own earthly fathers uh, and their perfections and, and imperfections. Um, a while back, I was uh, listening to an interview between David Letterman and um, Howard Stern, and Howard Stern was, was talking uh, about how, you know, he always strived, I guess, to get his his dad's approval, and he could never seem to get it, but his dad seemed to be enamored uh, by the people in the radio industry and by the radio engineers and all these things, and he thought, if I could just get behind a microphone, then my dad would accept me. Uh, unfortunately, we have uh, similar perceptions, maybe from our earthly fathers, but um, then we also have a similar approach sometimes to our heavenly father. Uh, thinking that somehow there is something that we have to do for him to accept us. And as we dive into Galatians chapter 4 this morning, hopefully we'll see that. And, and we, we need to know a little bit of something of the location. Uh, Galatians um, is a letter that Paul wrote. Um, and he wrote to a church that he started, that he founded, that he first took the gospel to that he first told about Jesus, that he first told uh, how they are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And sometime after Paul left them, they came to faith in Christ, and sometime after Paul left them, another group began to came in and, and listen to what Paul says about them in Galatians 2 and verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who sleeped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. What is it that these people do? Uh, they came in after Paul and they, they began to say, what Paul told you is important, but there's some other things that you need to add to your faith. There's some other things that you're going to need to do if you want to be a, a real Christian. And what does Paul call this? He calls it slavery. He calls it slavery. With this in mind, let's look to chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, when the, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we uh, come to you now 
so thankful that we have the privilege of coming before you as our Father. We pray, would you instruct our hearts today? Uh, Would you help us to sing of incredible joy because we know that we have been adopted into your family? Would you do that work with us this morning, we pray? In Jesus' name, amen. So what... A while back at a, at a conference that I went to, um, I, I remember a pastor telling a story. Um, he often had conversations with a guy who led a homeless ministry um, in his town, and he was kind of a provocative kind of guy who liked to you know, push the envelope a little bit, and one time he was talking on the phone, and, and he said, yeah, I keep getting these calls and, and, and people wanting slaves. And, of course, the pastors mean, what do you mean? People calling you up wanting slaves. He said, well, they'll call me up and um, they'll say, so I have an extra room in my house and I was thinking maybe one of your, your people, one of the homeless folks you work with, maybe they would come, you know, do some work for me and I'd give them some food and, and put a, a roof over their head. And then he'd follow up and he'd ask them, so you, you want them to be your employees? You're going to give them benefits and, and health insurance and you're going to pay them and all right and... Of course, the conversation would immediately fall apart, and so this guy told this pastor friend, he, he, he said, really what the people were calling him up and saying was, how about a slave? It's better than being out in the cold, right? And so, a little bit provocative, but I, I think it gets a little bit of a point across for us this morning. In a sense, you know, these people, they could be welcomed into somebody's house, right? They could be in the house, and they could still have the experience, they could still be a slave. One can be in the house, one can maybe even be in a part of the family and can still have the experience of being a slave. And that's kind of what Paul is beginning to talk to us about in Galatians chapter 4. And he doesn't want us to, he doesn't want the Galatians to have that experience. They've been freed. And so he gives them this analogy of slavery, right? He gives them this so that they can recognize, hopefully, their huge blunder that they have made. And what is it that they're enslaved to? Do you see it in verse 3? They were enslaved, he says, to the elementary principles of the world. Now, a few verses back, back in chapter 3, Paul had said this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The point that Paul is trying to make um, is that all start off enslaved. The, the, the Jewish people, they, they start off enslaved in a sense to that, that, that Mosaic law and they, they allowed it to be the thing that somehow they made it become something that was depended whether or not they were accepted before God. And the Gentiles were really in, in no different place. They were enslaved to their own former religions and, and in reality, all of them said the same thing, obey, live well, do the right thing, and you'll have life, right? That was this, this elemental principle of the world. Do good, get good. In order to be accepted by God, you must do things to make Him accept you. I must obey in order to be accepted. Even if I fail and if I sin, then God is going to reject me. And Paul's telling the Galatians, you're already free. You're missing something. You're misunderstanding things. You're going back to like self-imposed slavery. You're putting yourself back on a yoke that you shouldn't have. He's asking the Galatians, where did your joy go? Where did your joy go? 
They've turned delight into a duty. They have bought into the lie. A lie that sometimes, I, maybe even oftentimes, we buy into, too. That if we are good enough, we'll be okay with God. And it's a lie, isn't it? You know, we, we have this need to, to show somehow that, that we're good enough. You know, internally we feel inferior. We, we struggle at times to believe that the gospel could really be true, that we could really be forgiven by grace alone, not by anything that we have done, not by any merit. And so what do we do? We try to do things externally to show somehow that we're good enough. And if we're really honest, we sometimes we, we struggle to believe that this whole gospel thing could be true, don't we? Can God really love me and accept me? And then this, this legalism, if you will, it's given an opportunity to whisper into our ears, and it whispers to uh, you and I, and it says, oh, if you'll just, then God will love you, then he will accept you. He will have to love us if we do whatever. And what a poignant time of the year to be talking about this, Right? Because there is someone who is checking his list, and he's checking it twice, and he's going to find out whether you're naughty or nice. I hope you understand the lie that Paul is trying to expose, and to make sure that the Galatians understand that. That's where we get to the good news, starting In verse 4, what does he tell us? When the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, the thing that we're we're celebrating this Christmas season, right? When the time had come for the second person of the Trinity to be born, to take on human form, God sent forth his Son, fully God, 100% God, second person of the Trinity, But also, as Paul says here, born of the woman, 100% God, yet 100% man. The wonder of that, the wonder of the incarnation that we, we, we celebrate at Christmas. And Paul goes on to tell us some of the reason why this son has to be born. You see what he says next, born under the law. Born as one who is completely subject to the law. And as we know, completely met every single one of the law's demands. He fully kept everything. Pause for a moment. Just think about that. The the wonder that, that at every moment... He kept everything of the law. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. It's incredible to begin to think about it. It should leave you and I in wonder. And all of this for a purpose, verse 5. And as we, we, we move into verse 5, there, there's something really important that we need to understand here, in the, and it's helpful. It doesn't probably show up, well, it doesn't show up in the, the translation here in front of us. But there's really two so that's. Okay, the, the, the original language, it's the same. So that he might redeem those who were under the law. 
And then we're going to get to the other so that in a minute, but the first so that, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Previously in, in chapter 3, Paul had said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He's redeemed us by perfectly keeping the law. And then, even though perfectly innocent, paying the penalty for those of us who have transgressed the law, which is all of us. The one sent forth by the Father, born of the woman under the law, perfectly kept every one of the law's demands in our place, given himself for us, so that the verdict on us would be not guilty, so that we would never be slaves to the law again, as he's met every single one of the law's demands. This part of the gospel, it should bring you and I great joy. And I hope it does this morning as you're reminded that the, the, the purpose of what we celebrate here at Christmas is that God himself came down to earth to redeem us. And it's incredible, and, and that would be good enough if Paul just stopped there. But there's another so that. Back at verse 5, what's the other so that? So that we might receive adoption as sons. It goes to a whole other place. Now, to help us understand this, a while back there was an article written by a guy named Justin Taylor. Some of you may have heard him before, but I just want to read a little bit of what he has to say. He said, fellow Christians will sometimes ask my wife and me, if we know anything about our children's real parents. We're also sometimes asked, do you have any children of your own? Now we know what people mean when they ask these questions, and we also know that they are well-intentioned, but they are problematic nonetheless. Here, you know, they've adopted these kids in their family, and they're, they're, are these your real children? Do you have any real children? And he goes on to say this. He says, in other words... These well-intended questions reveal that too many of us are still too accustomed to thinking that biology is more important than legality. The opposite of real parents is fake parents. The opposite of, of your own children is children not your own. There is something about adoption that makes, that, that makes us think somehow that those relationships are less real. What we need to do, what we must do is put on gospel-centered glasses and ask ourselves, am I really a child of God or not? Is God really my father or not? Is Jesus really my brother? For those who trust in Jesus, the answer is unambiguously yes. So Paul tells us, why did... Jesus come down. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Yes, so that he might redeem us, but there's another so that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Quite literally, to, that we might receive the sonship. Now, about half the people in the room right now are women. You might be thinking, well, why doesn't he say sons and daughters? And he could have. But I want you to know, understand that him saying that is actually incredibly revolutionary. If he had said sons and daughters, 
The women of that day, you know what they would have heard? Oh, well, I guess our adoption is different, just like everything else in this world is different for us. That's what they would have been thinking. But what he's saying is revolutionary. No, just as he said earlier in Galatians, there is no male and female for all are one in Christ Jesus. Okay? There's no distinctions there. He's saying that all of us who are in Christ are sons. We all receive the sonship. And we all receive, because we receive that sonship, we're all heirs. We all get the same thing. It's incredible. It's even revolutionary. Now, of course, as I said earlier, as we think about this whole idea of sonship, of adoption, we struggle a bit because of maybe our earthly relationships with our father, be it good or bad, and mostly some mix of both, right? Um, just, just the other day, because I'm such a great dad, Why are you laughing? I can tell where this is going. Um, so, because I'm, you know, I, I decided we're going to play a board game as family. You know, we decided we're going to play a board game as a family. And, and, and before we ever start playing the game, before we even sit down at the table to play the game, before we actually even pick out which game we're going to play, what happens? But there's some squabbling about what game we're going to play. And what do I do? I end up barking at them in some way or another and say, fine, we're not, we're not playing a game at all right now. And in that moment, you need to understand, I was telling my kids a lie about what a true father is to look like. I was telling them a lie about what their heavenly father looks like. One who is slow to anger abounding in steadfast love, the, the kind of father that, that we see in that wonderful story in, in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, right? You remember it? The one son says, Dad, I don't really want you. I want your stuff, so give me my inheritance early. And he goes off into the far country and he squanders it all, right? He ends up basically eating pig's food, you know, or thinking that it's desirable. And... He begins to think, well, maybe I can just go back to my dad, and maybe he'll accept me back as a servant, right? But we know the outcome of that, right? Even after he had told his father, I don't want you, I want your stuff, what happens when he comes home? His father runs out to meet him. And do you remember the response of the older brother? After the younger son is welcomed back by the father, how does the older son respond in verse 29? Look, these many years I have served you. Quite literally, these many years I have slaved for you. I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He has a very distorted, a, a very wrong-headed view of his father, doesn't he? He looks at his father and he sees the relationship of that as a, a master and a slave or a servant and his boss. He, he doesn't see it as that of a father and a son. And was the younger son's view really that much different 
think of him when he was in the far country and he's thinking, okay, if I come back, this, and he starts practicing what he's going to say to the Father, right? And what does he say? Verse 19, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. They're both thinking in the same way. They both have a messed up view of their father. But what does their father do? They don't understand his true character. And when the son comes home, you see the true character of the father as he runs out to get his son. Embarrassing himself even by the way he runs out. Ready to throw a feast because the son that was lost has been found. He says, kill the fatted calf. The sons completely misunderstand the character of their father. And yet we see the beauty of the character of a true father in the story, don't we? And so Paul tells us in verse 7 of our passage this morning, so, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you know that? Do you understand that to be true in your life? Do you know him as father? Do you know that you are a son? Do you know that you are a daughter? Do, do you know that, that if you're in Christ, you are a child of God? Do you understand the incredible benefits that you if you're in Christ, you're an heir. And that you get to address the creator of the universe as father. J.I. Packer puts it this way. And he starts off talking, if you will, about the two so that's. He says, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. Right? That's that first so that. But then the second so that. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. There's no moment when, when God's eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Do you know the truth of that in your life? That if you're in Christ, those words are true of you. We start off on one end of the spectrum with Howard Stern. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, many of you probably heard of Michael Reagan before, um, son of uh, former president Ronald Reagan. He tells a story of, of his son, Cameron. Um, call, you know, he got called to the school one day, and his son was all upset. He sits down with his son to talk, and Cameron says, Daddy? Is grandpa really my grandpa? Michael Reagan says, of course he is. Why, why do you ask? And the son looked down at his shoes. And he said, because, 
one of the kids told me that you're adopted. And if you're adopted, you're not really grandpa's son. And if you're not really his son, then grandpa's not really my grandpa. And Michael Reagan said, Cameron, I was adopted into the Reagan family. And the Reagan family is my family. President Reagan is my father, and he's your grandpa. You are the grandson of the president and part of his family, just like I am. And then he pointed to a man wearing a dark suit and sunglasses. And he said, if you weren't the grandson of the president, you wouldn't have secret service agents around you all the time, would you? And Cameron, he looked at the agent and he grinned. He said, I guess not. Cameron got all the benefits of having a granddad as president. You and I, we need to understand that, that we get all the benefits. We're not treated differently because we've been adopted into the family. Now, these two so that's are so incredible, aren't they? That we've been redeemed, that we've been adopted, but there's a sense in which Paul's not even really done with us there. He wants more for us than to just believe that these two things are true, which we need help believing for sure. Look at verse 6. We skipped over it a moment ago. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, Paul, he doesn't just want you and I to know these two truths kind of hanging out there. He wants you and I to experience the sonship that we have in Christ. And, and, and because we've been redeemed by Christ, Holy Spirit is crying out in our hearts even right now, Abba, Father, don't believe the lies that your heart's trying to tell you, <laughs> trying to pull you back into slavery. Holy Spirit is in our hearts testifying right now, crying out, Abba, Father. This word, these words are significant. Now, it doesn't, and I know you've heard um, Abba means daddy. It doesn't quite mean that. That's not quite a fair translation of it. Sometimes you would even call a teacher Abba, okay? But it is a term of a great deal of intimacy. And so significant that Jesus uses this word too, doesn't he? And because we're saved by Jesus, we can use it too. You remember when Jesus says it in Mark 14? He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will. He, he cries out to his Father in heaven. He said, would you let this cup pass? And the Father doesn't let that cup pass for you and I, so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be adopted into the family and we're now able to use those same words of our Savior because we are true sons and true daughters. 
who can speak to the God of the universe as sons and daughters because we have been redeemed by Jesus, adopted into the family, 100% his child. Because what is true of Jesus is true of us. Now, if you think about what's there in in verse 6, it's talking less about us using that word, Abba, Father. And it's talking more, not that we shouldn't, but talking more about how it's a work of Holy Spirit in our hearts. Testifying our hearts, reminding you and I that we are children. Our hearts are often trying to tell us all sorts of lies, aren't they? Trying to subject us again to slavery. That somehow, you know, telling us lies that somehow we, we, we must perform for our Heavenly Father to truly love us and accept us. And the whole time, Holy Spirit is crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father. We need to unlearn. We need to, to, to learn to enjoy our sonship, our adoption, to find great joy in it. And when we do, we find out that things like Hebrews 2 is really true. Do you know what Hebrews 2.11 says? For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus Christ, that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers not ashamed to call us brothers. Do you understand how incredible these words are? He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He doesn't look at you and say, I'm not quite sure if you're going to make the cut into the family. You see, if you've trusted in Christ, these things are true of you. He was sent forth from God the Father some 2,000-ish years ago was born of the woman in that lowliest state, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, and fulfilled and kept every one of the law's demands. And while he was perfect, he also suffered the penalty for those of us who have broken that law. So that, so that he might redeem us. And so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this this morning should be good news of great joy for us. That even right now, Holy Spirit is crying out in your heart, Abba, Father. And this is the reason that the Apostle John said, see what joy, see, see what kind of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Abba, Father, that we're able to come before you and not just as 
some distant God of the universe, but as one who calls us sons and daughters. And we're able to call out to you as our Abba Father. Thank you. Thank you for these two incredible so that's that we talked about this morning. That we who are in Christ have been redeemed. And we have received the sonship. We've received the adoption as sons and daughters of you. Would you help, our, help us to believe it? And would you continue through the work of Holy Spirit to testify in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus.